Gospel of Luke chapter 18 is where we will be tonight. Gospel of Luke chapter 18. One of the um, one of the things you find when you've been a Christian for a while and you've read through the scriptures, you've heard a lot of sermons, you've encountered some of the same texts repeatedly over and over again. And sometimes that's sometimes that's a good thing um, because there are certain things that we always need reminders of. And so it's good to have those constant reminders. Every year, there's actually a, uh, there, there's a rhythm of life. And, and you see it in the church calendar. Um, just the idea of when it gets to Christmas time, there are certain themes that always come up and certain passages that we come back to. Now, around Easter, there's, there's passages and there's themes that we come back to over and over again. And even though we're Baptists, we're not liturgical in the way we do worship every single week, um, there is kind of a, a still a, a rhythm to our calendar. And, and throughout the year, we go through these cycles and things. One of the passages that I've heard preached a lot, I've heard taught a lot, I've heard referenced a lot, is in Luke chapter 18. It's the, let the children come to me. It's, it's Jesus, they're, they're bringing infants to Jesus and the disciples go to rebuke them, but Jesus says, no, let them come to me and don't, don't hinder them. Um, so we're going to look at this passage tonight, but like many familiar passages, sometimes in seeing it over and over again, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the fan that's always running in the background. It becomes a white noise and you, and you miss some of the details because you're so familiar with it. So to, tonight I want us to take a little bit of a fresh look at the story. Luke 18, verses 15 to 17. It's only three verses, um, but I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher, so I, I can make this go for hours, but I'll spare you a good bit of that. But, but um, in three verses, Jesus teaches us a lot, so we'll dig into that. Luke 18, 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Pray with me. Father, I pray in this familiar passage, I pray in these words that, that we've heard a lot, that we not lose the details that they not become white noise, fade off, that we not just merely hear what we've always heard. Father, we recognize that you say so much in your word that, that over and over and over again, for years and years and decades and decades, we still will not probe its depths. So Father, we ask you to help us to explore a new part, to see a, 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 new, a new barrier reef, a new section of the depths of that ocean that is your word. Help us be captivated once again by who you are and what you've spoken to us, that we may live it out for your praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let the little children come to me. We've heard this a lot, and usually when we hear it, it's something along the lines of, of no, don't stop the children from coming to me. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, Right? Red, yellow, green, and blue, Jesus loves me more than you, something like that, right? No, is that not the words? No, okay. We hear it in this kind of, well, we think of kids. We think of them in a certain way, right? We think of kids as like full of energy and life 
They're, they're ten, they tend to be laughing and smiling and playing. It's hard, not, it's hard not to smile, especially when someone's got a kid that's, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 months old, that, that when they look at you, they start smiling. It's hard not to smile back, isn't it? We think of children as this precious thing, and they are precious things. Don't get me wrong. That's not the way they thought of children in Jesus' day. If you didn't want a child, abandon them. Throw them in a trash can. One of the things the early Christians were known for was the fact that they would pick up these abandoned children and adopt them, raise them and love them. It's one of the hardest things for people who wrote against the church to reconcile. How could these evil people who eat the body and blood, misunderstanding communion, how could these people who have these, these love feasts, whatever love is, how, how can these people care for abandoned babies that no one else wants? It was, it was tough to reconcile. Some people had their theories, but it was one of those hard things for people to get their mind around. How, how could they be so caring and loving for children that nobody wants? You ever heard the saying, children should be seen and not heard? Well, in Rome, they shouldn't be seen either. They just were, they weren't human. They didn't have any dignity to them. And so it's no wonder, it's no wonder that when people are bringing not only children, but infants, carrying them in their arms to Jesus just for him to touch them, to bless them, to heal them, to, to care for them. It's no wonder that the disciples are like, Y'all are wasting his time. So, verse 15, now they were bringing even infants. Now, now there's a word for children. We have a word for children. It's children, right? But we have a separate word for really, really tiny children, babies. And we have one for even more tiny than just babies, infants, right? This is getting more particular. That's what, that's what Luke is doing here in this description. He's taking, he doesn't take the general word for child and he doesn't even take, take the word for little child. He takes the word specifically for a newborn infant. One that is so young it cannot hold its own bottle. One that is so young it doesn't even know it has arms and legs yet. One that is so young it can't even interact with the parents other than to scream its head off when it wants something. That's the word he's using here. These are helpless children who, if, if they weren't brought, didn't go. If someone didn't bring them, if someone didn't care for them and love them and feed them and nurture them, then they would go without. As tragically too many kids in that day did. And they're bringing these infants to him. And the disciples look at this, verse, uh, uh, the end of verse 15. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. The idea is very simple. Jesus doesn't have time for this. I mean, look, he's a busy guy. He's teaching, he's, he's preaching, he's doing miracles. He's chastising folks for their sins. He's calling them to repentance. He's traveling all over the place. This is a busy guy. I mean, if he wants to pray, he's got to get up earlier than everybody else to go pray because he's so busy. This is a guy that just doesn't have time for such teeny tiny babies. And so they rebuke. They don't rebuke. It's an interesting form of the word. They try to rebuke. They're making the attempt. It's not even that they are successful in the rebuke. They're starting to rebuke. They're trying to rebuke. And then Jesus steps in. Verse 16, but Jesus called them to him. 
saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. It's the positive. Let them come. With the negative, don't stop them. Don't hinder them. Don't get in the way. But then he says something amazing. He says, for such, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then amen, I say to you, that's that truly, that's amen. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the point where pastors typically get into all the lovey-dovey view of children. You know, they're so trusting and, and, and they, you know, they don't, they, they have to rely on you for everything. You're their parents. And so, so they're so trusting. They believe whatever you tell them. If you tell them there's a monster under their bed, they're, they're freaking out because of the monster under their bed. If you tell them that you love them, that I love you too. Whatever you tell them, it just sticks with them. Or, or they'll say things like, you know, children uh, have to be, they're willing to ask. They, 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 they just come up and ask for what they want. Or in the case of infants, they, they, they're a little more confident in their asking and they demand, right? But they just tell you what they want and they know you're going to provide it, right? We talk about things like that when we preach this oftentimes. And, and it got to me, I, I was thinking, wait a minute, is that really what Jesus wants of us? Does he just want little tiny, his children demanding things of him? And No, not quite. Maybe asking of him, trusting in him? Well, maybe, maybe. But how else does Jesus talk about children? And this is where I think we go wrong. Oftentimes, we take a verse and we import our own meanings, our own life, our own perspective into it, and we say, this is what that verse means. And what we don't do is look at what the verse means in its context. We don't look at what Jesus is talking about just before and just after. We don't look at other things that Jesus said about the same topic. We don't look through the course of Scripture to see what is it exactly that God is pointing out about this over and over and over again that can lead us to what he means here. We just accept whatever comes to our head first as though that's the authoritative word of God. And in reality, sometimes, yes, sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes you hear it and there's no doubt. Sometimes, though, you have to take a step back and you have to say, all right, given the grand scheme of Scripture, what is he telling us? He's telling us that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Well, what does he mean receive the kingdom of God like a child? What is it about children that makes Jesus say, you know, you got to be like these here in order to enter the kingdom of God. So I, I, I did a quick search. I wanted to look for how, how many times does Jesus talk about children? Jesus mentions children several times in the Gospels, but sometimes he's calling someone child. He, he's talking about a kid that is dead, but he says the kid's resting. And then he goes and, and brings the kid back to life. Or or he's talking about a child of someone who's sick or something like that. Okay, so you throw those out and you only focus on the ones where Jesus is teaching us something about the way adults should either act toward children or be like children. And there's a couple of major passages. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at all the passages. We're going to look at what Jesus says in each one of them and then see if we can't piece together what it is about children that makes Jesus say, you got to be like that to enter his kingdom. Back in Matthew chapter 18 is the first incidence that I found. Matthew 18, just to uh, set this up a little bit, the disciples, um, 
We we're talking this morning uh, through Sunday mornings. We've started a series on questions. This is one of those question things. They come to Jesus with a question. Matthew eighteen verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" Now they are, I bet, absolutely confident that one of them is the answer. In fact, I'm pretty sure Peter, James, and John are all kind of vying on that spot, right? I'm pretty sure Peter thinks he's the greatest. I don't know about John, but he probably thinks he's up there. James, he's probably up there too. They're all probably thinking in their mind, I hope he says me. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Well, I didn't want to say anything, but they're all waiting for themselves. It's like actors waiting for the award to be announced. <laughs> and, and they're sitting there trying not to look surprised when, when it's awarded, but also trying to... to uh, be genuinely surprised if it's their name, right? You know, they want to look like they're shocked, like like it's such a great honor <laughs> when the whole time they're thinking in their head, I've got to win this. These these other schmucks don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, whatever. I can't say that for sure. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm sure some actors do, but maybe not all of them. I'm pretty sure the disciples are just waiting for their name to be called. Maybe it's an underdog. Maybe it's Andrew. You know, Andrew, every time we see him, he's bringing someone else to Jesus. So maybe he's the greatest disciple. Thomas, well, <laughs> probably not Thomas, okay. Judas, definitely not. He, he's not even questioning that. He's, he, he's, he's not even worried about this conversation. What about, what about Bartholomew and Levi? I wonder who's the greatest. So they come up and ask him. <laughs> I'm also figured, I, I just wonder which disciple actually had the nerve to ask the question out loud. Because, you know, the rest of them are like, go ahead, ask him, ask him. No, I don't want to ask him, you ask him. <laughs> Back and forth. Someone finally gets up the nerve. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Look what Jesus does. Verse two, and calling to him a child. Hey, put him in the midst of them. Puts him right there in the middle of them, right in front of them. And he says, one like this. Truly, I say to you, there's that amen again. He doesn't need the testimony of others verifying what he said. It's already verified by heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Kid. He continues, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You really want to know who's the greatest? Find the one that's got the humility of a child, and you'll find the one that's the greatest. He continues to tell them how adults should act with children. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in that who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. But do you do, do, do you hear the point Jesus makes? You want to know who's the greatest? It's the one who humbles. And don't forget to receive these. Now, that's not the only time Jesus talks about children. He talks about them in Mark chapter 9. Look in Mark chapter 9 with me. Mark 9, verses 33 through 37. Um, this, is, this is one of those cases where um, it's not a question. Uh, they're not asking Jesus who's the greatest. They're fighting over who's the greatest. Mark 9, 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked him, what were you discussing along the way? <laughs> you ever do this to your kids? Like you know they're doing something wrong, and you're like, so tell me, what, what, happened, what happened at school today? And you know it was bad. I mean, the teacher has already called you. You already have found out from somebody else, another parent or something. You found out from somebody what happened. 
But you're just going to say, so, so what happened at school today? And you're just waiting for them to come clean. That's kind of what Jesus does here. What were you discussing along the way? What were you all talking about while we were on the way here? <laughs> but they kept silent, verse 34. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Isn't that us? Isn't that humanity in a nutshell? We're walking among the greatest, and we're stuck arguing among ourselves who is the greatest. Isn't that just like people? Isn't that just like us people? No. I just think of Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest, right? Was he the greatest? Maybe, maybe not, but he sure thought he was. It's just like us. Not only just, now it's one thing to say, you know, I think, I think this guy, I think he's really get, got it together. That's one thing. They're arguing over themselves. It's like, oh yeah? Well, did you see what I did last time? Yeah, yeah, you had, you had one demon cast out when he sent us out by twos. I had 15. I am the greatest, right? Who was it? Who was it that he gave the bread when he blessed it? He gave it to me. And how many people did I, did I feed out of that bread? Yeah, I'm the greatest. Who, who, who does he trust with the money? I'm the greatest. Arguing among themselves. Who is the greatest? Verse 35. And he sat down, called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, calls that child over again, <laughs> puts him right in the middle of him, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Do, do, do you see? The ethic is, it's topsy-turvy. It's upside down. How can the greatest, how can the first be the last? How, how can the first be the servant? The first should be served. The first is the one who receives the attention. The first is the one who has all the honor, who gets the honorable place at the table. The first is the one that you mention and you make great adulations about. The first isn't the one who serves. And yet, Jesus says, if you want to be first, you need to be last. And not only last, you need to serve. Page or two over, depending on your Bible, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Mark chapter 10, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. This is the, this is the parallel passage with the one that we read from Luke. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We see a little bit different side of Jesus here. We see a little bit more of the emotion. He is indignant at the disciples' rebuke. He takes the children into his arms. He blesses them. There's something else happening here, isn't there? It's not just that Jesus is saying, all right, y'all are really screwing it up. You've got to learn from this guy. Here we have a Jesus who is compassionate for the ones who are so often abandoned, neglected, forgotten, disenfranchised. He really cares for them. It's not just, it's not just that he puts up with them. He loves them. I think John tells us that Jesus goes to pray for his disciples in the garden, that he loved them to the very end. I believe it's there. I, th I think it's in, in that part where John 
expresses that. In fact, it's such a powerful kind of love that John doesn't even call himself by name. He says the disciple whom Jesus loved. He can't get over the fact that Jesus actually loved him. And it's that same love on display for these children. But what are you rebuking them for? No, 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 no. These are the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that are like these. Don't you see this is a picture of what you need to be? And then in Luke chapter 9, here we go again. Disciples are fighting. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Peter says, I just said Jesus is Lord. I'm the best. An argument arose among them, verse 46, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of the hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. What do all these passages have in common? They all express a love for children and they all express this desire of Christ that his followers would be the ones receiving children, that they would be the ones that would welcome children, that they would be the ones who would allow children to come and not hinder them from coming. But there's something else I've seen that's in every single one of these passages and that is the attitude of humility. It is the one thing that unites every single passage of Jesus Christ talking about children. Every single one points the disciples toward humility. Maybe it's in describing them as humble. Maybe it's in calling the disciples to be humble. Well, in fact, in the very last passage before the one we read in Luke 18, Luke 18 Verse 9, he begins, uh, someone comes to him with a question. Or no, 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 excuse me. No, he is telling a story. I'm so sorry, I'm getting mixed up. He's telling a story because there are some who are righteous and who are finding contempt for other people. And so he tells a story to get right at them, and it's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He tells them about a Pharisee who prays standing up. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there. And the tax collector's over there beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he asked them, who went justified? And it's obvious it's the one who humbled himself. And now Jesus is saying, if you want to have the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to experience the kingdom of God that I am promising to you, you cannot get it without being humbled. You cannot enter my kingdom without being like a child. Children don't have that much to brag about. Infants especially. What can they do? They don't even know they have hands and feet. They can't control themselves. Do you know why we swaddle babies? It's a reflex. They will suddenly shake because they can't control their nervous system yet. And when they shake, they scare themselves. They wake themselves up. And they don't like that. And so you don't like that, <laughs> right? So you wrap them up so they're nice and wrapped up and calm and warm. That's why you soothe them with soft sound, swishes. You're bringing them back into familiar, that rocking back and forth in the womb. Those sounds that aren't so loud in there because of all the fluid that just kind of sound like that little boop, 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 boop of the heart. 
babies can't do anything, and they know it. The only thing they can do is scream their heads off, and they're completely reliant on a mom, on a dad, who will feed them, who will care for them, who will change them, who will give them what they need. There is no bigger position of humility than to recognize your own inability to do what you need, to provide what you need. Now, yes, we can provide for ourselves. We can, we can cook our own food and, and we can work to get money to pay for uh, things that we have and all that kind of stuff. We can, we can do work on the house or, or we can pay someone to do work on the house. We can do all of these kinds of things for ourselves, but when it comes to our souls, what can we do? Nothing. That's why the kingdom of God belongs to such as children, because they're totally dependent and they're okay with that. They don't have much of a choice. That's why Jesus says you need to be like a child. He doesn't say it because you need to be childish. He says it because you need to be humble. Because if you're humble, you'll trust him. And if you're trusting him, he'll take care of you. I've heard someone say, you really can't pray until you know you need. My, how true that is. Otherwise, you sound like a Pharisee praying. God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. But when you know your need, when you're beating your chest saying, God, be merciful to me, sinner, it's a whole different ballgame. I'm really convinced that sometimes, sometimes we, we, we go into this false humility where we act like we're humble, but we're really not. We're really kind of proud. Sometimes we just dispense with the whole humility bit and we just allow ourselves to show off our pride. God can't work with either of those. You know what God needs? He needs us to just admit that we can and to beg him for mercy. That's a prayer God will answer. I hope, hope you've learned to trust God in the big and the small. I'm learning. I work with a guy who wears a thing under his name tag that says in training. He's not in training. He's actually one of the leaders and it says in training. And I said, what are you training for? And he said, life. I said, yeah, I've been there. Aren't we all? In this thing called life, we can choose to humble ourselves and we'll experience the fullness of God in us. It's why Paul could say, I had this thorn in my flesh and I prayed three times. God, get, a, get this away from me. God, get this away from me. God, get this away from me. Three times God said no. And on the third time God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Maybe we do need to be a little weaker or a lot weaker. Maybe we do need to be a little more like children. Pray with me. Father, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to recognize that we cannot. Oh, we, we can do all kinds of different things, but when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to living this life that you've called us to live, God, we don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We don't have the capability. We don't even know where to start, God. But for your grace, we're sunk. Help us see our needs. There are a lot of them. Help us recognize how much we need you. And put complete trust and confidence that you will give us what we need. That you will give us the energy, the strength, the wisdom to do your works. Help us trust you. In your name we humbly pray. Amen.